Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. How are you guys? Good, good. I thought you guys have more energy because you're the committed and you're the chosen being here at this one service on December 29th. Well, if you guys have your Bible or device, you can flip open to Luke chapter 9. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And we're wrapping up, as Matt said, the past several weeks we've been in a series called No Turning Back. And we've been talking about making decisions for Christ that Christ has called us to. And these are decisions that if we make them, we're planning on making them and never looking back and never going back on them. And so we're going to do the same thing this morning as we wrap up. And we're going to talk about the decision to face rejection. And this morning, what we're going to see in this just small passage that we're going to look at is really, here's the thing. There's a good way to respond to rejection. There's a bad way to respond to rejection. But the one thing that we're going to know for sure is that if we follow Christ, if we do what God has called us to do on this earth, and that is go out and teach and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, then we are going to face rejection. There's no question about it. And and so the last thing we're going to really see, too, is, though, that we have a great comfort in rejection, and that is Jesus Christ. So as we open up this morning, I just want to be open and honest and share with you that I feel like I'm at least a little bit of an expert when it comes to this thing of rejection. Not like, I feel like I've got a couple stories that at least land me in like the top half where I could feel some people's pain. And and I'm going to be open and share a couple. Um, The one that probably really lands me up there is growing up, and I'll make this story really short. Growing up, there was a girl that we went to church with, that my, our families are friends. I liked her from kindergarten till senior year. And we went to the same school together. We were in the same classes together. We moved from Christian school to the same public school. And so I had never really told her that I liked her. One day we clapped erasers in fourth grade. I rigged. I switched a kid's name out so I could go clap erasers with her. And she said that she liked me some days, and she liked this other boy in our class some days. And that was like a highlight moment for me. And so we get to high school, junior year, and I'm like, you know what, this is dumb. I'm finally just going to do this. I'm going to tell her how I feel. So I don't know what I had done. I'd written enough, or I'd watched enough chick flicks, I guess. And I've come to grips with this, so if you make fun of me for it, I don't don't care. But I wrote her a letter. It was like three pages long, just pouring it all out. And I had it built up in my head that she was going to open it, read it, probably cry, and call me, and then we were going to ride off in the sunset. So I give her little brother the letter to like put on her dresser so she can read it. And so she read it, and she wrote a letter back. There was just a little bit of a difference. Her letter that she wrote back was one page, and she wrote it on the steering wheel of her car while she was driving to school. And the gist of the letter was, heck no. Like, that was just kind of how it played out. She was like, absolutely not, not on your life. And and the part that probably puts me in the top half is she wrote, P.S., and I counted, there were six, please, 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 don't ask me to prom. Now... I hadn't quite intended on it, but she made sure that I was not going to do that. And and there's probably a couple other things. Um, My lovely wife is in here, and over a year and a half, I asked her out three times, and she said no three times. And it wasn't like a playful flirty, like, no, playing hard to get. She was also like, heck no, not in your life. To the point where, and this is an absolutely true story, she prayed by my name that she would not end up with me. She asked the Lord in heaven not to end up with me, and that just proves that I'm more spiritual, which is why I'm a pastor, because he listened to my prayers more, more than he listened to hers, obviously. She got the short end of that stick. And then I asked her dad to marry her three times, and he said no, not yet, three times. So, like, I've faced my fair share of rejection in my life. But the rejection that we're going to talk about this morning, the rejection we're looking at, 
comes directly from us following Jesus. We're going to see a story of Jesus himself facing rejection, and we're going to get to learn from his example. So if you're in Luke chapter 9, we're just going to read this passage together really quick. We're going to start in verse 51. It said, When the days drew near from him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to go verse by verse, and we're going to unpack this small little passage because it's going to teach us a whole lot. So if you go into verse 51, and you read verse 51, it says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now the days drawing near, what is being talked about right there is the day that Jesus is going to be taken, he's going to be arrested, falsely accused for crimes he didn't commit, and he's going to be beaten and brutally murdered for our sins on the cross. That's the day that it's talking about. And so Jesus is fully aware of when that day's coming. From the second he landed on the earth at Christmas time, what we celebrate in the manger, he knew this day was coming and he knew when it was coming. And so the day is near, and Jesus is not where he needs to be. And so where he needs to be is in Jerusalem. If you look back in the chapter of Luke 9, you'll see a couple verses. Luke 9.22 says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day raised. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples as they're traveling together, and he's constantly reminding them and constantly letting them know, Hey, there's coming a day where I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to have to suffer all of these things in order to forgive the sins of this world. If you go to Luke 9.44, same chapter, it says, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, Jesus is emphatically saying this because the disciples were having a really hard time with the fact that their teacher, their rabbi, their master, Jesus, who they had left everything for, is telling them that he's about to leave them. And, and, and it goes on in verse 31, too, in that same chapter, and talks about Jerusalem and Jesus having to get to Jerusalem. When Jesus came from the time he was in the manger till the time he hung on that cross, there was specific prophecies that had to be fulfilled. There were very specific things that had to happen in order and in the exact time to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. And one of those things was Jesus was going to be taken in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus, at the time of this passage, is in Capernaum. And he's in Capernaum, and the travel and the journey that he has to take to Jerusalem is about 120 miles. Now, here's the thing. If I'm Jesus, and I know for a fact that when I get to my destination, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be falsely accused, beaten, spit upon, mocked, and murdered, I'm going to take the longest route possible, which would be the 120 miles around Samaria. But see, there was a shorter distance between Capernaum and between Jerusalem, and that was to go straight through this place called Samaria. And so Jesus, because he wants to make sure that his disciples, and honestly because he wants to make sure we understand something, he chooses the shorter route so that he can show us one more thing. Up until the very second that they take Jesus, and even on the cross, he's teaching us things and showing us things and giving us examples of how we're supposed to live our life on this earth. 
And it's no different. Jesus takes the shorter route through Samaria so that he can show us and teach us about this thing of rejection. And so verse 52, all verse 52 lets us know is that Jesus sends some messengers out ahead of him. There were some guys that he sent before him to go into this village of Samaria to go let them know, hey, we need a place to stay, we need some food, we need a place to put all of our things. They were just going to prepare a way for Jesus. And then we get down to verse 53 and it says this. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now here's the thing about Samaritans and Jews. If you know anything about Bible history, you'll know this, that the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they saw the Samaritans as these half-blooded Jews. You see, when Israel was taken captive by different nations, Samaritans were Jews that had stayed and had intermarried with their captors, which was a no-no. And so Samaritans in this place of Samaria was a place where these Jews resided, and they were seen by the devout Jewish people as half-breeds. And the, and the Samaritans hated the Jews because they hated them, and, and it was a bitter rivalry between them. And, and one of the biggest reasons why they hated each other is because they had a very big disagreement on where they were to go worship. You see, going and worshiping at a specific place back then was very, very important. The Jews would go worship at the temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans believed that you would go worship at a temple built on Mount Gerizim. And so the Jews and the Samaritans had this incredible argument, and you see that in John 4. There's a story about this woman at the well. And Jesus meets this woman at the well, and the one question she has is, where do we worship? If you're Jesus, if you're God, then what's the place we should go? And Jesus answers, and he says, really, honestly, it doesn't matter where you go as long as you worship in spirit and truth. But really, it's believed by many scholars that that's one of the very reasons why Jesus is rejected by the Samaritan village. Because it says his face was set to Jerusalem. His journey was to go to Jerusalem. And when somebody was going to Jerusalem, the Samaritans didn't want to have anything to do with them because of the disagreement between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus has his face set to Jerusalem. He knows that's where he's going, and they reject him. And here's the thing. Verse 53 and verse 54 are really where we're going to see ourselves. It's really where it's going to get practical for us, and it's really where we're going to see ourselves in this story. So verse 54 says this. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? I love James and John's response here. Like, and if any of us in the room, we all want to have a friend like this that's got our back to the very end. Now, James and John were two of the three disciples that were closest to Jesus. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' closest friends while he was here on this earth. James is the first one to die after Christ is murdered on the cross. When they go out and begin to preach Christ crucified, James is the first one to die. Peter is the rock that Jesus builds his church on, begins to build the movement of Christianity. And John is his beloved disciple. It says it's Jesus' favorite. John's the one that writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation, the one that Jesus catches up and exposes to him Revelation. He lets him see that vision. And so James and John are extremely close with Jesus. And they have a response that I think a lot of us would have. Or at least we wish we had a friend like this that was like, okay, here's the deal, Jesus. Because they rejected you, let's just get fire from heaven and burn the place to the ground. 
Like, it's a bit extreme. It'd be like a friend of yours. You're like, oh, I didn't get invited to Sally's New Year's Eve party. Great, I got some new C4. I've been waiting to use it. It's like, no, it's probably a little extreme. Like, we just won't maybe talk to her. We won't Facebook her anymore. But James and John are just absolutely incensed that Jesus is being treated like this. And it's kind of funny. If you go to Mark chapter 3, Jesus gives people nicknames. Like, Jesus and God, they have this thing with naming people different things. And so when James and John are called, they're brothers, and, and Jesus gives them a nickname. And I'm not going to butcher it in the Hebrew, but what the nickname meant was Sons of Thunder. Which if you're going to get a nickname from Jesus, like I want mine to be Sons of Thunder. Like I want to be part of that crew. Like I'm going to ask when I get to heaven if I can be the third Son of Thunder. But Jesus gives them the nickname Son of Thunder in Mark chapter 3, and it really doesn't explain why, but I think in Luke 9 we kind of get a picture like, their immediate response to somebody telling Jesus he can't stay there is, let's call fire from heaven, burn the place to the ground, and keep walking. But here's the thing. Jesus is not at all pleased with that response. Jesus is not at all excited that they feel that way. In fact, if you keep reading in verse 55, it says, Jesus turned and he rebuked them harshly, strongly turned around and rebuked them. There are some manuscripts of the Bible that say why or what Jesus said when he rebuked them. He says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. See, here's what James and John were forgetting. James and John were forgetting all of these things they had seen Jesus do. They were forgetting a lot of the things that Jesus had said while he was with them. See, there is coming a day where if somebody is found on the other side of a relationship with Jesus, where people who have rejected Jesus and his free gift of salvation on the cross, there is coming a day where they will face judgment for that. But that is going to be a judgment that they face before God, not before any man. See, when Jesus came the first time, that's not why he came. If you go to John 3.17, he says, For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You go to 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some, countless, or as some count slowness, but impatient towards you, not wishing that you should perish, but that you should all reach repentance. See, here's the thing. Jesus came the first time because he had a desire to see this lost and dying world saved. He had a desire to see everyone reach repentance. James and John were struggling with that. James and John were struggling that there were people rejecting Jesus. James and John were forgetting the fact that Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation right then. That he came to bring repentance. He came to bring hope. He came to bring forgiveness. See, and and, and the response of James and John is honestly a response that probably isn't foreign to us. If we've spent any time or we've gone out and done what God has asked us to and shared Jesus, then we've probably all at some time faced rejection. We've probably all at some time faced somebody that turned us down or said, that's not for me, I'm not into Jesus, that's not real, that's not true, I don't believe. And a lot of times our response can be like James or John. God, why would you let them stay here? Why would you let them talk about you like that? God, why won't you just let them know who you are? Why won't you just send fire from heaven to let everybody know don't mess with Jesus? But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came 
to seek and save that which was lost. He came to bring redemption. He came to bring hope. And yes, there is coming a day where judgment will be faced for all those that have rejected, but that's between them and God. And if you go on to verse, the last verse, here's the thing. It says, and they went on to another village. When they moved on to another village, Jesus, what he was doing is he was demonstrating the thing he had just taught his disciples, not but a couple verses before at the beginning of Luke 9. Jesus had just got done teaching his disciples this. He sent them out two by two. He said, don't take anything with you. Just go to village after village and let them take care of you. Go out and heal and cast out demons and preach Jesus. And Jesus said this specifically to them. He said, when you go, if a village rejects you, just kick the dust off your feet and keep moving. And what Jesus means by that, what he was trying to teach them is, if you go to a village and they reject you because of me, and they don't want to have anything to do with you because of me, here's what I want you to do. Don't take it personally. They're rejecting me. He said, just kick the dust off your feet, which would symbolize them just leaving that village up to God, leaving that village to face judgment one day before God, because James and John and Peter and all the other disciples, they were not judge and jury, just like we're not judge and jury. We're not left on this planet to judge people for their sins or to bring condemnation to them or to let Jesus know who should face his wrath. We're here to bring the hope and the love of Jesus to people. And if they reject that, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus. And so Jesus had just taught his disciples that, and now he walks it and lives it. They go to this village, they reject Jesus, the disciples want to call fire from heaven, which is not what Jesus taught them to do, and so he says, guys, and he rebukes them, and then he says, let's go, and he moves to another town. Because here's the thing, when we face rejection, and we take it personally, we either respond like the disciples do there, or we stop moving. We face rejection and go, nobody's ever going to want to listen to this, nobody's ever going to believe this, nobody's ever going to follow this God. Nobody ever is going to believe in Jesus because if these people wouldn't, how would anybody else? I mean, what if Jesus would have just stopped at that village? The Samaritans rejected him, and he would have just been like, you know what? I was just rejected in Nazareth. Now I've been rejected in Samaria. I'm going to Jerusalem to be rejected by a crowd of people who are going to cry for my murder. See, that's the thing. The disciples were incensed about this rejection, but they had no idea what was on the horizon. They had no idea that Jesus was going to enter into Jerusalem and the very people that he had been healing, the very people that he had been feeding, the very people he had been teaching were going to be the very people standing in a crowd screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was about to face the ultimate rejection. But he didn't stop moving. And here's the good news. Because Jesus didn't stop moving, because Jesus went and faced that ultimate rejection on the cross, because he paid for our sins, if you flip to Acts 8, as the disciples and as the apostles start to move out and preach Jesus, in Acts 8, there's a passage that talks about Philip going to Samaria. And he goes to Samaria and he preaches Jesus. And when he gets done preaching Jesus, it says he healed people, people were overfilled with joy, and many people came to know Christ. 
It doesn't specifically mention this village, but I have to believe that some of the people in this village that rejected Jesus could have been the very same people that Philip preached Jesus to and they accepted him. And here's the good news about that. That's something that can grip somebody's heart. That's why we're able to shake the dust off of our feet, keep praying for people, keep hoping that God will open their eyes to himself. Because to me, that can grip a heart. If you think about somebody rejecting Jesus and then one day coming to him, here's the good news. Even though that person rejected Christ, even though we at times have rejected Christ, some of you are probably sitting in this room on the other side of that. You were somebody that at first was like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Jesus still went to the cross for you. Jesus still went to the cross for them. Jesus walked through Samaria around Samaria because they rejected him and still went to the cross knowing full well he was paying for those people's sins too. That's why he didn't call fire down from heaven because he loved them and he knew he was going to pay the price for that. He knew that Philip was going to come and preach Jesus to them and some of them were going to realize the very guy they just rejected still went and died for them. Rejection is not something that we have to face alone. Jesus is the one that faced rejection for us. Jesus is the one that was rejected in his own town of Nazareth. Jesus was the one that was rejected at Samaria. Jesus was the one that was rejected by the crowds at the cross. And that didn't stop him from getting up and hanging on a cross and suffering all the payment and all the punishment for our sins. And just like it didn't stop him, it shouldn't stop us for one second when we face rejection here on this earth. Because what we should know and what we should be very confident in is that Jesus kept going. Jesus saw that person in the eyes. He knew their name and he knew they would reject him. Some would reject him completely and wholly and would never come to him, but some, even though they rejected him at at a time, would come to know the love of God. So we've got to decide how we're going to face rejection because the question isn't are we or aren't we. If we are doing what God's called us to do, if we're preaching the gospel, then we will face rejection. Are we going to take it personally? Are we going to want to call fire and condemnation down on somebody? Are we going to want to stop because who would want to believe in this Jesus? Or are we going to take the example of Jesus? Are we going to kick the dust off our feet? And are we going to keep moving? You guys can bow your heads. God, you're so good. God, I thank you that you didn't give up on us. God, I thank you that in the face of rejection at Nazareth and Samaria and all over, there were people that just completely rejected who you are, even though you came to show them love and hope. God, I'm thankful that you still went to the cross. I'm thankful that you still went knowing my name, knowing their name. God, I pray that we would walk out here bold. God, that we would walk out of here with a new look at how we face rejection. God, knowing that it's coming, expecting it to come. But God, even knowing that as we face rejection, God, that means that we're doing what you've asked us to do. God, if we are going to be like you, we're going to face the things that you faced. And God, when you went out and you proclaimed yourself and when you healed and when you did miracles and when you taught, God, you were rejected. And if we will do the same, if we will go out and love people like you did and we will teach and preach Jesus and the good news of the gospel, God, then we will face rejection. But God, I pray that we face it with the right heart. 
God, I pray that we face it with a heart of love. God, I pray that we face it knowing that ultimately we're not being rejected. It's you. God, and we're not judge and jury. God, we're just asked to stay here and to continue sharing the good news. God, so we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.